0: So today we're talking about anxiety. So I guess the first sort of top of the line question would be like, how does anxiety affect adolescent development? So I mean, anxiety is
1: basically fear, right? It's an extreme fear that we experience about something that could be real or could be be imagined, right? So it's Mm -hmm. our brain's response to the perception of fear, right? So if it's something that exists in adolescence, or in fact, at any stage of our lives, in a prolonged state, it's never good for us. Because if we look at it from a biological perspective, it means that there are stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline that are constantly flooding our system, because it is a fight or flight thing that naturally happens in our brain. And so, imagine being in a constant state of fight or flight. All of these chemicals are wreaking havoc on how your body is functioning from a physiological level, and. And at the same time, it's also... you know, encouraging a sense that there's a lot of things in their environment that is terrifying, that's too difficult for them to confront, too difficult for them to experience. And so what would happen, especially at a crucial age like adolescence, you'll probably start seeing them avoid um, a lot of very key milestones in their life, like socialization, friendships, participating in class, building upon your self-esteem. All of these things would be compromised if a child is anxious and not kind of getting much support for it.
0: So what kind of, what are we looking at in terms of sort of damage per se is Mm. happening to our our brain when you've got so much cortisol, Mm -hmm. adrenaline, Mm -hmm. and you're on the edge the whole time? Does that affect the wiring of
1: the brain? No, absolutely. It does. Um, There's a lot of, I mean, with psychology, there's a lot of um, researchers now trying to go into MRI studies. So looking at how different conditions affect the brain. Um, And the reason why is because, I mean, like you said, when our brain and our bodies are being flooded with all these chemicals constantly, you know, there must be some type of effect. And while, you know, the jury is still out on kind of the definitive um, impact of that in terms of MRI studies, but it does affect, like you said, the wiring of the brain. So, you know, very simply put, imagine somebody who is under a lot of stress, right? So all of us have been through situations where we've been quite stressed just from day to day things and, how many of us have said you know I'm having a bad day because I'm stressed I snapped because I'm stressed leave me alone I'm just mm. stressed today right these situations would not have um, would not have resulted in that severe an, uh, response if we were calm and having a pretty chill day but because we're stressed we have almost mm. like a pair of red colored glasses that we wear and that affects how we view everything that's happening around us it affects how we respond um, and so in Anxiety affects us in much the same way. Everything that is probably tolerable to maybe an average person or to a person you know of the same age is now something that is extremely overwhelming extremely terrifying they feel like they can't handle it they can't cope some of them in extreme cases because they're feeling very backed into a corner I can't fix everything I can't overcome this we'll start contemplating why am I still here you know so we start talking about sort of the dark side of things where people think Mm. about harming themselves or even suicide Suicidal ideation, because it's kind of it's affecting how we view the world and how we respond for sure.
0: What causes anxiety and? In- children, adolescents?
1: So it's the same uh, nature versus nurture argument, right? Um, So like all biological conditions of which anxiety is also a medical condition, right? It is something that can be passed down in families, though the heritability of it isn't as significant as some other psychiatric conditions, but anxiety can run in families from a genetic perspective. Um, There are uh, certain medical conditions which might make a child more prone um, to, to these types of things Uh, but at the same time it's also the environment so if a child was raised in an environment that is not supportive if his or her parents um, used a lot of fear mongering in their parenting style which I think is very Asian. how we It's very Asian I was going to say I'm going to call the police or I'll you know or like you know if you do this you're going to (laughs) die like you know there's there's a lot of fear mongering in Asian Mm -hmm. parenting so if parents use too much fear mongering um, if parents are using sort of a very authoritative parenting style where where kids are not really able to um, express themselves or communicate things very openly and talk about their feelings, then you are encouraging that because you're you're simulating an environment where the kids can't six anything. It's my way or the highway. It's kind of a nature nurture thing where both things can kind of impact it. So, yeah.
0: Can we look at what anxiety looks like in children specifically?
1: Mm -hmm. So, again, depending on the ages, right, whether they're verbal or not. So in younger children, you might see, of course, things like lots of crying, lots of avoiding, nonverbal body cues or nonverbal cues are really powerful with young children. So even things, for example, as if they're approaching a plague, ground and they kind of tuck themselves behind you, right? That's an aversive um, sign body language wise telling you that they're afraid of that interaction. So any type of avoidance is usually a really big indicator of anxiety. So whether they're avoiding you know, speaking up in class so some kids go completely silent when they're called on in class so it could be that they're avoiding things in their environment. It could be that they get very, very anxious in terms of how they, they might be know fidgeting they might some kids even kind of like bite their nails some kids bite Mm. their hair there are all these kind of like nervous tics that they can engage in and that's usually a very big tell when you're working with young children Um, when you're dealing with the with older children who might be more verbal then you will see things like them again wanting to get out of situations by saying you know I'm not as good as other kids you know I don't want to do it because I'm too shy you know they try really hard to avoid certain things. They might also have a tendency to over worry. That's the biggest sign of anxiety in teenagers. They tend to overthink, overanalyze and over worry about everything. Um, And the reason why they do that is because their brain is trying to protect them from every possible angle. And so they might say, well, well, I don't want to do this because I'm worried that the other kids are going to laugh at me. Um, I don't want to try this spot because I'm worried that I'll be really bad at it. There's a lot of those words. I'm worried. I'm scared. I, you know, I think other kids or other people will do this. So that's usually really big signs, in my opinion. What are
0: older generations misunderstanding about anxiety and children? The
1: first thing that I hear most commonly is that it's something that they just need to toughen up and get over. Right. So a lot of parents do practice that tough love. And I think it comes from a place where you know i feel that our generation and above you know it wasn't something that we talked about as openly right and so because of that whenever we experienced a moment of fear or a moment of of worry back when we were growing up the tough love was practiced right and so right. it's kind of generational it's being passed out so parents nowadays are often saying to me they don't recognize it they feel that they were never anxious i beg to differ right but nice. it's just that you know we were not being allowed to recognize it as such back then but mm. the kids nowadays exist in a very different generation a very different time and so the approach also needs to change right with the with the, the environment that they're in and so mm. when parents kind of take that firm stance and say well you know um i've had some parents say this you know there are other kids who are suffering worse off than you my childhood was worse off than yours you know mm. why at you, yeah. you know, so they use a lot of that comparison. Um, it does nothing but make the child feel worse. Because while yes, your life might have been worse off than mine, and there are undoubtedly children who are suffering more than I can, that information gives me nothing about the experience. It doesn't take away the anxiety I feel, nor does it magically transport me to the life that you had and the life that they have. So all it does is add more guilt to my plate. Mm. All it does is create a heightened sense of fear because oh gosh it can get worse you know so right you know that i think that that's kind of the the biggest misstep that i see parents making is kind of invalidating the child's experience because they either don't recognize it or they feel that they don't have a right to feel anxious or worried because their life is so awesome i've had a parent say to me what exactly does a child at this age have to be anxious about you right
0: know? i have heard that too mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. times yeah yeah
1: so it's, I think that's kind of the biggest pitfall um, because we're, not, we're, we're kind of teaching them to overcome it or we're forcing them to overcome it by silencing the emotion rather than teaching them how to cope. And that sends a very dangerous message because you're going to create a child who feels that the only way to deal with something unpleasant and the only way to deal with something I'm afraid of is to keep it tucked in um, and to mm. distract myself. You know, that can get pretty dangerous as they age. Right. So yeah. I've seen teenagers have to go into substance abuse and things like that because it allowed them to avoid the emotion because that was more acceptable having that emotion silenced than owning it. Right. So I think that that's kind of where the problem lies. Right. We all feel anxious when we get You know, when we've been summoned to the boss's office, when we have a bill that's left unpaid, but we accept it as okay because it is something that in our adult brains is acceptable. But if you transport yourself to a to a 10-year-old who's being bullied or being isolated or ostracized by their friends, in the scope of our lives, that might not be a big deal. But in their life, it's as catastrophic as what it is in ours if we lost our jobs. So I think parents need to recognize that a little bit more Mm. when they're dealing with an anxious child and try to work with your child at their level rather than expecting them to meet us at ours.
0: What are the dangers of ignoring this with the kids and expecting kids to get on with it?
1: I tell all parents that emotions are energy. And just like what you learn in science, energy can't be destroyed. It just changes form. Right. And so when Ooh. that's how I deal with psychology, I look at everything as energy. I don't know whether that sounds very like very hippie of me, um, but it's true. I feel like. No, no, it makes it
0: tangible. So, yeah. we can, you know, we yeah. I grasp that. Yeah, no, yeah. no, carry on.
1: And so if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't have a way out, it will change form. If you tell your child who is dealing with anxiety that there is nothing that they can do about it other than to just man up and stomach it like the rest of us. It will find a way to manifest itself in behavior. It will find a way to manifest itself in how the child views the world and how they view themselves. So you're putting your child in a pretty difficult path, right? So I've seen kids, like I said, go into substance abuse. I've seen kids self-harm. I've seen kids, um, you know, talk about suicide. I've seen kids turn to aggression and violence, right? Because it's energy. It's changing into different forms. And so if a child isn't given the support he or she needs when they're experiencing anxiety, we are um, opening the doors, like I said earlier, to all kinds of other things. The other thing that I do often is I break, I like to break down psychology or, or, or emotions into its basic form. So Generally speaking, in psychology, we believe that human beings were born with only four emotions. So four base emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, and anger. And Mm -hmm. those four emotions will then grow and become more complex as we age. So anxiety is at the end of the day, fear. And if you put a human being in a state of constant fear, right? Or if, you know, probably a really bad example, putting a butterfly in a jar, right it's going to find it's going to try very hard to find its way out right but at one point when the way out is not accessible there is another way out that our brains will start to calculate and that is mm-hmm. exiting
0: self destruction basically self
1: destruction right because the brain isn't thinking well i don't want to live anymore it's more how do i get out and if getting out means exiting my life then that's also a way out And so that's the worst case scenario that I see a lot of kids get to when they feel totally pinned to the wall and they have family members, teachers, friends, and just people who don't understand what they're going through and not supportive of that fact. And it's really heartbreaking to hear 11-year-olds you know, tell me that they've thought about it, or that they've self harmed because they feel that they can't cope with life, um, yeah. and and that's the reality that we're facing. Parents need to move away from the from the um, thinking that anxiety is an adult problem.
0: How easily is anxiety treated, and can it be healed for good or mm. good enough that? strategies are in place that they don't ever get to that desperate state anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are of the misconception that if you have anxiety or depression that you can't function, and that's completely untrue. Those two conditions are 100% manageable. And to be completely honest, there are a lot of very Um, you know, successful, high-powered people who struggle with that condition in private, right? And so is it something that is going to be, you know, a lifelong thing? Possibly, right? Some people are always going to have certain elements that make them anxious, certain situations that trigger their anxiety. Um, But it's all about learning how to not say avoid it, but to work with it, right? And so is it something that's treatable? 100% whether you choose to go down the medicinal route and take anti-anxiety medication for it or to just practice mindfulness and do talk therapy, it is something that's completely manageable. But, you know, I think that it's in terms of treatment options here in Malaysia, we've got a lot more than I think people realize. It is not all about getting your kid drugged up and medicated. That's not always the case. And in fact, I believe that um, my colleagues that I've worked with were quite hesitant, to be honest, to put young children on medication. So we do try things like talk therapy. We try play therapy. Uh, we even have hypnotherapy to help children before we even talk about medication being an option. Um, so it is something that is doable. And remember the goal at the end of the day is not to eradicate the response of the, you know, the, the body's anxiety response, or the brain's fear response. It's about teaching you how to overcome and teaching you how to, Yes. So let
0: me ask you this. Mm-hmm. How can us as parents or guardians help our kids?
1: Talking about it actually does the opposite thing, right? So it's not really encouraging kids to somehow develop anxiety if you're more open about it, right? I think what talking about it does is that it normalizes it, right? It creates less of a fear response, if you will, because it's something that you know everybody goes through. You know that mom's gone through it, dad's gone through it, my siblings have gone through it, you know, everybody goes through it. And I think that's the one thing that social media has done is told kids and educated young people about just how normal anxiety really is right mm. and so and and the other thing as well is that you need not be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder in order to experience anxiety anxiety is an emotion right, right. so yeah. just because you're anxious doesn't mean that you're that you have a disorder or that you're sick or that you're beyond help you know and so I think that, but, but most importantly, talking about it shows these kids that it's something that can be discussed. And when you put sort of this shroud of secrecy on top of something and you tell kids that it's taboo and that they can't talk about it, you know, going back to the energy analogy again, they're going to find mm. another way. And right. they're going to find other people that will hear them out. And, and whether or not the advice that they get from those sources is credible or not, you know, it becomes the other concern. So I would much rather your child feel comfortable enough to be open with you about it, a person who has their best interests at heart, rather than them relying on the internet or relying on questionable people that they meet to give them that support. So I think that the idea that talking about it encourages them to have it more often is, is completely false in my opinion.